0: Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you that you are so far above us, Lord, um, that you can provide us with the truth when we feel lost, Lord, um, comfort when we feel brokenhearted, Lord, that you are so beyond and above us that um, you don't rely on us, Father. And there's so, in a world that so much seems to rely on us and our reactions and the way we do things, it's comforting to know that you stand outside of that and that you are the support that we really need <clears throat> because we, we can rely on you fully. I pray that those in this room, God, would be open-hearted, that you've called them here this far for a reason. I pray they would be open-hearted to what you have to say. Uh, Lord, I pray you would gently crack the stone-hearted, Lord, that you would heal the broken-hearted, um, and Father, that you would just speak truth, and Lord, uh, we pray for your protection, your guidance, and I pray that you would help me to preach your word, and to preach it well, and uh, we just give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ. name we pray, amen. So wrestled with this a little bit, but since uh, it's not really my news, but I suppose it's kind of public, so those of you that are visitors, we recently had, uh, this morning actually, someone pass away who had an effect on a lot of people in our church. Uh, pastor, actually, um, <clears throat> from Pierston area, and I got to know him. He's a father of one of the ladies in our church, and he's kind of fathered a lot of people here. And uh, passed away after a, a battle um, with cancer. <clears throat> uh, I don't have time to talk about all the ways that uh... <laughs> it's just funny how God works, um, because I could, I, you know, I don't know a ton of the stories of his life of ministry. You know, I wasn't there. Uh, there's people in this church that were that are hurting way more than me, but I know that he lived a good life, and I know that he's not grieving. Um, and, and it's funny, man, because we say that, right? And everyone, everyone's like, yeah, but I was talking to the worship team before this. And it's funny because in moments when, when, you, when you face death, right, whether it's directly or whether it's, you know, kind of whatever level of intimacy you have, it makes you if you let it. Think about what all this means. Right? <clears throat> Paul tells us in the New Testament, I'm paraphrasing, he said, listen, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then what is this? Right? This is nothing. We've, he essentially says we're fools. But if he is resurrected, and he is, right? If he is resurrected, then, then our hope is secure. That, that, that that's a real thing. So when people get close and are in a lot of pain, and he was in a lot of pain, I was telling them, you kind of, you that's a big fear, right? What are you going to do when life's real hard? And that's why I tell you all the time, how you respond in moments that what you want collides with what God says, Right? that is on the same spectrum as someone that's close to the end of their life that's in a lot of pain because both are going to show you, right? They're going to show you the strength of your faith. They're going to show you the, the strength of your foundation in the fire of trials, and Scripture tells us this, your faith will be revealed. Will it be revealed to be gold? right? Or will it be revealed to be straw? <sighs> Pastor Jim... His faith was revealed to be gold because even at the end, and I and, and <laughs> I, I really wrestled this, but I feel because, I you know, I was raised family business, family business. I really was, so I didn't want to talk about this, but I think that, that that's almost disrespectful for me to do that, so hopefully the family's not upset, but I will say this. I had a friend that was with him Friday. He's in the room. It's not my story to tell, but I'm going to tell it. <laughs> you can talk to him in more detail, but I know that in his prayers, in a ton of pain, ton of pain, that we were talking about this just last night at like 3 a.m., and he revealed that in this prayer, Pastor Jim had said, listen, Lord, I don't want to be here anymore. This hurts. Take me home. But if I need to stay here for someone to know you, for someone to be saved, right, then, then your will be done. What a good God. Right? I mean, that's not a coincidence. So, you know, I, I guess I take a minute to recognize a life well lived. And those of you in the room that, you know, he can, in a moment, he's a real person. But let that also drive you to think about people in your own life that know Jesus and also the legacy that you're going to leave. Right? What legacy are you showing now? You understand? And your legacy can't partially be gold. It's either all gold or it's not. Is your life built on the foundation of Christ? Is it built on Jesus? Or is it built on your version of him, which is really nothing more than a puppet you've created? It's not partial. You can't take some of the truth and then throw away the rest because culture or life or yourself isn't comfortable with it. So, uh, pray for the family, but also more than that for us, right? We, there are people far closer that are grieving today. I'm going to choose to praise God for the testimony of a, of a godly man who will never be famous, right, outside. He's not Stephen Furtick. He's not some John MacArthur, but he has crowns, right? And, um, he, the father knows him and, um. Celebrating, right? Heaven is celebrating. So, yeah, keep that in mind and let it let it hopefully bring a sobriety to what you're doing today. right? Meaning, are you here? So, sobriety is not just about alcohol. Read a book, anyway. Uh, that's a good uh, lead into, and I think a good way to honor uh, Pastor Jim. That's just how it's titled. That's how I knew the guy. Who's Pastor Jim? It's this famous guy, right? Uh, when, I, when I started hearing about them, um, would be to talk about the truth. We're in the middle of a series called Culture Wars. Listen, let me just be frank with you. We're in the midst of a war. Okay, We're in a world at war. Now, here's the good news. The winner is already determined. And if you're with Jesus, you already won. But in the meantime, we got to walk through some of these battles. And I don't know about you, right? And, we, and here's, here's another thing I've mentioned before I say this, and it's something that we kind of ignore. Make no mistake... The prince of this world runs the world. Do you get what I'm saying? The culture of this world, the enemy, Satan is real, right? And this culture is built on his lies. You can sit here and say that's a sin, it's a fact, okay? So there's only two options the Bible tells us that we as humanity are, are, are in. We, we, we are living our lives in one of two places. We are either living in the domain of darkness is what it calls it. You are living... Serving him, you are a son of the devil, a daughter of the devil. That's a fact. That's what it says. Or you are a citizen of heaven, a member of the kingdom of God, who's an ambassador to this dark world, reminding them that the king's coming. Right? That hope is coming. And also warning people. Warning people that the king is coming. That being said, um, I don't know about you, but, but we need to stand firm because we are called, we being the church, if you're in this room, you're a Christian, not just this church, church of the capital C, the body of Christ, we are called a city on a hill by Jesus. Light of the world, salt. And Jesus makes these analogies and he, and he says, listen, you don't take a lamp, right, in a dark room and sit it on the floor, right? A, little, a, a lamp. Light, you don't put it, you don't cover it with a blanket. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Then nobody sees. He says, Listen, if salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? Meaning, it's nothing. The thing that makes salt different than sugar or different than some other white powder (laughs) is its taste. And the cool thing about salt is, salt affects the rest of of the stuff it's put in, right? A little salt can change, if you like salt. can change. Some of you like salt a lot, Jack, right? Uh, Salt can change a soup. It can change the flavor, and we're called to be different. I'm going to tell you something right now. Part of the problem with our culture, both in America and the world and all of those things is, listen, you don't want to be salt. You don't want to be light. You don't. And everyone's going, yes, I do. No, you don't. Because every time that you make a concession, every time that you make a, you say, well, it's not that important, or yeah, this is true, but eh, you are, ma- you're covering your light. Now, you can get mad at me for what we're going to talk about today. I didn't write it. I didn't make it. Or you can stand up and say, I am not going to bend to culture that wants to pull me away from God, twist truth, that wants me to build my foundation on sand. We're in the midst of that. So in this series, we're going to talk about a lot of things that, and I told you we're building up, right? Tim was ready for me to drop the the truth train like first week, and I'm like, listen, we're building up. I know for a fact, I shouldn't say that, but I'm going to say it, I probably won't see some of you again after today. Just being honest with you um, because you're not going to like what I say. And, and because you don't want to blame God because you have a version of God you've created, right? You can't be mad at God. So if, it's, if, it's, if this version isn't, isn't jiving with what we're going to talk about and who we're talking about and what he says, then it must be me. I must be twisting it, right? So you're going to leave, and I'm never going to see you again. That's okay. So if I'm going to offend you, I might as well do it real good so I don't have to do it in the future. But I didn't write this, so we're going to talk today. Uh, we're going to continue, and today our uh, our series continues on with with cracks. Titanic, any Titanic fans? And I mean the ship, not the sub that went. Right? You know a lot about it. Raise your hand if you feel like you know a lot about the Titanic. Cool. It's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a tragedy, right? And I mean it's it's been romanticized too. Some of the movie did that. Jack, I'm flying. You know whatever. Uh, But it's fascinating, and part of what makes it fascinating is it was such a big deal when it was built. The Titanic was called what? This ship is unsinkable. Yeah, This guy really is a fan. He's like, he raised it good, right? It's unsinkable. They said it's unsinkable. They were cocky about it. I think someone, I don't have this for quotes, someone may know this, but something like God himself couldn't sink this, right? Like just making a comment about about, uh, how unsinkable it was. And it was huge. It was made of steel. Um. It was it was a big deal. Twenty two hundred people signed up for were on the maiden voyage. Not necessarily signed up on the maiden voyage. Now, spoiler alert: it did sink. Okay. Now, here's the thing: what they found, and there's a bunch of reasons, right? People have tried for years and years to figure out why did this thing sink. Right at first, eyewitnesses said, and this was a big deal. We don't really know this in our generation on generation because we kind of have accepted this. But eyewitnesses that did survive said that it snapped in two, that it sank in two parts, and they're like, "That's impossible. It's impossible because it's steel, and it, it you know." And people argued for years. So from 1912. Up to 1985, people said those people weren't seeing reality. In 1985, they found the remains of the Titanic, and guess what? It was in two parts. So then it becomes holy moly, how did we, how did this happen? It hit an iceberg, the thing's made of steel. So they pull up a piece of the metal and they they test it, right? And they freeze it and they hit it and it shatters. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the problem. The steel was weak. Well, they ended up doing, by the way, this is a great point for all of us. You don't just accept the first thing that happens as truth. You test it again, a bigger piece, and they found out that's not true. That piece had just, that small piece they tested had just become brittle over time, that the overall structure and integrity of the steel hull was solid, right? Meaning it didn't just shatter because some people said that kind of froze somehow steel became like glass and broke what they did find however and there's a lot of other mistakes this isn't the only reason listen to this you guys know what a rivet is it's what connects metal right um think of it kind of like for lack of a better word here instruction people don't get mad at me but like a nail that's that's holding this metal together right it's kind of what keeps it together <clears throat> what they found when they pulled up they're like what is going on? They found something interesting out. So the people that were building the Titanic were under a lot of pressure. They sold this thing as like unsinkable. We got to be ready for this maiden voyage. They started talking about it before. We're in a rush. So what they said was the construction company had was under a ton of pressure. So what they did was they had a machine that could put the steel rivets in the steel, right? The steels to to hold it. Well, in the front and back of the boat, this machine couldn't get in, and it, they were in a rush. So what they did was take. They had men, I can't speak, people, nail iron rivets, okay? They had iron rivets put in. So how do they know this? When they pulled this up, I'm not, again, a metallologist here, a but essentially they found a bunch of slag in the front and the back of the boat, meaning it was weak metal. It was iron. So what happened was when the ship hit, which would make sense, right, there was a... Not just a hole in the front, but the structure and integrity of the ship that it put together was torn, right? And then water was able to get into the big steel hull, and we know the rest. So the people that said that it snapped in half were right, right? Because that front end and the back end, but the front end that hit sort of and began to sink. Well, sink like that, but you get the point. 1,500, and by the way, they used steel rivets all through the center. And before we go, that was so dumb, you'd think the same thing. Let's say there's 100% of the boat, and you use iron rivets on 25% of it. You're like, listen, what are the odds? What are the odds that this section is going to hit something? Right? It's made of steel. Right? The, the, the metal itself is steel. 1,500 people died out of 2,200. 1,500 out of 2,200. Why? Because small rivets that you and I, if we looked at the ship as a whole, wouldn't even notice because of small rivets. Little cheaply made iron rivets that created cracks that couldn't hold it together. <clears throat> Moving on. But picture this is like a documentary, you know, and it flashes to the new scene. The second greatest loss of life in California history occurred in 1928. You're gonna love this, David. I'm history, it's history day. Did you know my my bachelor's in history? Did you know that? <clears throat> that had nothing to do with this, it didn't help me at all, but that is true occurred in 1928 when a curved concrete gravity dam collapsed. It was 40 miles north of Los Angeles, and it was a storage reservoir, right? stored water. Its failure resulted in more than 450 deaths and is considered one of the worst American civil engineering disasters of the 20th century. It's called the St. Francis Dam. Look it up. It was part of the Los Angeles Aqueduct, so this, you know, this big series of... of dams and, and you know all these things to kind of let water in and control the flow of water and make sure everybody gets water. It was designed between 1924 and 1926 by the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power and it began however remember 26 to show signs of distress meaning what? cracks. In 1928 so there are a number of temperature and contraction cracks. So when, it, when the temperature changes, right, look at your, that's why it's such a big deal if you get a crack in your windshield, right? When it gets icy, that small crack can kind of spread out because liquid gets in there. Same thing on the bridge. And contraction. Believe it or not, the earth moves a little, right? So anytime it's moving, if it's not super solid, it's causing cracks. Am I boring you with history lesson? Right? Because I'll, tr- I'll throw a podium. Right? <laughs> pay Pay attention here. All right? And this is the end of it. I'm just going to give you a history lesson and leave. So just stay with me. That's a lie. I'm lying to you. Uh, with a number of temperature and cracks and a small amount of seeping. So there's a little bit of water occurring under it. So the department's chief engineer, I'm not going to give the guy's name even though it gives it. I feel like this, like you're just disrespecting the guy. But he came, and he, I'm sure he had, by the way, a list, right? We all know government, bureaucracy. It's got lists and, and all of these different, this is how it's supposed to be, and checklists. And he, che- So I'm sure he had that. It's not just his fault. He checked the leaks less than a day Before it collapsed. Listen, 24 hours before it collapsed. And he deemed, ready for this, that the cracks were of average level for a dam of its size. So, acknowledge the cracks, and he just said, listen, according to our list, these are just average cracks, they're normal, not a big deal. Twelve hours later, a middle portion, only a middle portion of the dam remained, only a tiny part of the middle. Twelve hours later. Yeah, they found some other things too that there were cracks and also where it was built on land, on stone, this stone wasn't real solid. It seemed solid, but when it got wet, it began to kind of crumble a little, which affected the whole structure. Now you got cracks on top of that. Everything moves. What happens if something drops and there's cracks? Which is why if you think about it, the middle part was left because the two sides collapsed. Get it? You with me? Bailey, I know you hate science. All right, I'm just uh so 450 people according to us it was it was it was a normal amount of cracks for a dam this size and 450 people died because of cracks that you and I wouldn't see knuckle cracker even if right we were at the front i mean we were looking at this dam you're just doing that to help me out i get it cracks here's what i want to say cracks Construction guys, you know this. Willie, you probably know this, right? Cracks in a foundation can lead to the failure, right? Of the most impressive buildings. That's why the foundation is so important. We don't just go out and just start putting wood in the earth, right? That's not good. You have to have a solid foundation. So if you got a foundation with a giant crack in the middle, you're gonna build a house on it? Right? Some of you are going, "Mm, maybe, right? It's within the parameters, right? (laughs) All right, remember that cracks. Cracks in a foundation can lead to disaster. It's a fact. Go ahead and throw that up. <clears throat> this was an article I came across this week, the, the headline. Let's start here. <clears throat> Transabled woman blinded herself at 21. Quote, she says, I should have been blind from birth. This is real. If you want to know how this happened, she was able, she believed since she was a child, I was supposed to be blind. Transabled. get it? Trans-disabled. So they're transitioning to disabled. Stay with me. This is real. <clears throat> So I've already lost some of you because you've been so conditioned, you hear the word trans, you think this pastor's going to be hateful and you want to walk out and storm out. That's fine. Or you can stick around and, and, and listen to the truth. Your call. All right? <clears throat> Culture war. Decide which side you're on. <clears throat> Trans-abled woman blinded herself at 21. She, guess what? She's saying, I'm happy. How did this happen, Todd? Well, she found a psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever, Right? I think, who helped her. As a doctor, so a bunch of psychiatrist. they gave her numbing drops on her eyes and then used bleach to blind her because that's what she needed. This is real. This is just this week, Bing headlines. <laughs> it was on Bing. I don't like Bing either, but it just happened to be there. Okay, stay with me. We're gonna keep going. These are some some more comments from the uh, from the article. One person said, "We should all be having that doctor's reaction to every transgender case." What was the doctor's reaction? I'm gonna help. This person become blind. Another added: there are multiple forms of transism, transgenderism, transracial, right? Transageism. At your age, boy, I could use that, man. I'm 18 again, right? Four years ago. Uh, Trans. <laughs> that used to hit a little better when it was more realistic. Transgenderism, transracial, transageism, transspeciesism. and of course this. Trans ableism. For some inexplicable reason, transgenderism is the only form of transism accepted by the elites. So this person says, we should do this for everyone who wants to be something different, even if you think your species is wrong. Right? <clears throat> Go on. Next. These are all from the same. Another argued, she's happier now. Meaning the blind woman. And just because the doctor and others can't understand that, because some of the doctors are going, this is unbelievable. Right? Other doctors. Other doctors. She's happier now, and just because the doctors and others can't understand that doesn't mean she should be banned from reaching happiness. She's an adult and can make permanent decisions about her own body. Go on. Is that it? We got any more? People with BID, and I cannot remember this. BODY something something. Someone look that up. All caps. I can't remember what it means. I know you're already on your phone, right, looking at Facebook. Uh, people with B-I-I-D, this is the, the idea that you feel like your body is something different. They'll tell me the name, right? They get, listen to this, they get trains to run over their legs, freeze-dry their legs, or fall off cliffs to try to paralyze themselves, end quote. So that their outside matches what they feel they're supposed to be. Anybody find it? You find it? What's it it stand for? Body Integrity Identity Disorder. There's a name for it. Body integrity identity disorder. Now, I heard some of you and I get it, right? We kind of we we laugh a little, like, oh my goodness, not before this, like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I agree with you. It's it's wild, trans speciesism. But here's the thing: that sounds crazy to us. And this is all of them I haven't put up there, leave it on for a second, just so you can see it. I know it's small, that's why Zeke is a genius. He kind of separated because I just wanted it to be like that, and you'd have never read anything. <clears throat> right? This is on the front page of the search engine that your kids use. This sounds crazy to us, but stand here, and here's where it starts. Here's where the offense starts. Sorry, I'm telling you the truth. Years ago, trying to surgically, that sounds crazy, but years ago, trying to surgically and hormonally change someone's born gender would have been considered crazy, yet here we are. Then a few years ago, okay, an adult can do it, but now guess what in California? If you don't recognize your child's trans- identity, transgender, you are performing child abuse on them. This just passed their representative. It's got to go to their state senate or whatever. And they're saying it's going to pass. This is a fact. Look it up. Trans, so yet here we are. So let me ask you this. It's ha-ha funny. It's weird, right? It's strange. And it is. What happens in 10 years? What becomes Normal. What becomes accepted? Now, before I continue, because I feel like, have I said I hate them yet? I'm not going to. Just making that clear so that when you go and tell everyone, right, whoever's in here that Todd hates these people, then you can remember I specifically didn't, said, no, I do not. But I do want you to think that. Years ago, it, I'm telling you, right, even when I was in high school, four years, I'm just kidding, right, it, it was crazy. It would have been crazy, Transgender people are like, well, the Bible doesn't talk. Of course it didn't talk about transgender, actual hormonal, right? We're gonna talk about it. it would have been, even those people are going, okay, we're going a little too far here. Although eunuchs existed, right? You know what those are, we'll talk. Transgender, gender, sexuality are all hot button issues in today's culture. Period. It's obsessive. And guess what? Your children are dealing with this and seeing this and reading these articles, and because you don't want to speak into it. Who's teaching them? I promise you that the public school system is teaching them. I promise you. All wrapped in love. That's what it is to love someone. Letting them sit on a train track and cut their legs off. That's the next step, right? <clears throat> it means it may seem crazy that people would hurt themselves, run over their legs based on their feelings, but why? Why is that crazy? It's just the inevitable outcome of the worship and elevation of self and the worship of feelings, right? And trying to put what we want on the throne. It's the inevitable outcome, hear me now. It's the outcome if things continue as they are. That's why these other words are gonna start becoming more of the normal vocabulary, transspeciesism. They're already arguing it, right? The one lady said, listen, everyone should, they only recognize transgender. They should recognize trans too. Cracks, it all starts with cracks. Cracks in the foundation of humanity. Cracks in your identity, and it's fun, right? All the Christians are like, well, I'm not trans, so I'm not part of it. You're adding cracks. We'll get to that. And not even in the ways you think. Not even because you're not speaking up loudly every time. That's not, though, should we? I know this, man. You look look in the the gospel of Luke. And Jesus says this. Out of nowhere, it kind of comes. He says, listen, anyone that causes one of these, he calls the children to him, one of these little ones, one of my little ones to stumble, it would be better if they put a giant rock around their neck and jumped in the ocean compared to what I'm going to do. And yet, here we are. What does our silence do? Are we, are we compliant in it? What happens if you see a murder and don't tell anyone, don't speak up? Cracks in the foundation of humanity, but here's the deal. these, these This transgenderism, gender, all these things, homosexuality, sexuality, that... <laughs> All, the 50, we'll get to that in a second too. That's not where the cracks started. It's always been about creating cracks in our understanding, our being humanity. Whether you're in this room and believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter. Because you, don't, you can believe all you want. You can believe anything you want. But reality is reality and you are created by a creator in the very image of that creator. Even if you don't believe in him, it doesn't change reality and it's always been about creating cracks in our understanding of who we are and more importantly who god is and so what's happening is cracks in the foundation are leading to more and more cracks which is leading to what more and more disasters hurt people and even deaths and not unfortunately this type of thing doesn't won't end with their physical disfigurement their physical death Right? Those who've rejected Christ and worship self and worship their feelings, it ends in an eternity separated by God. Hell is real. And though being transgender, and I want to make this clear for some of you, is not what sends someone to hell. Jesus Christ is the only way, is the only way to salvation. However, rejecting the sovereignty and the authority of God shows where you're at. I don't have to give you a deep, deep argument before, but we're going to continue. So we're going to talk about this transgender and sexuality and all of these things, but I'm going to come at it a little different and why it's causing cracks. Very simple. What do you mean, Todd? God's fine with it. Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created him, them male and female. Y'all didn't turn my fan on. I'm sweating up here. Oh, man. There it is. You caused that. <clears throat> right? So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created the male and female. Jump down to verse 31. Well, not only that, God said after all he saw that all he had made and it was very good indeed. What if they didn't think it was good? The creator made it and said it was good. If the creator says it's good, who is the creation to say it's not? By whose definition? The idea of trans anything, okay, any of this, including sexuality, the big spectrum, which we'll get to in a second, right? Now we've created words for that, gender, all of these things. The idea of trans anything is at its root an attempt to feel in control of the uncontrollable. If, I can, if I'm in control of the uncontrollable, then in a way, right, it's the culmination of the idea that I and me is the ultimate arbitrator of right and wrong, good and evil. Wake up. I'm very, very fired up today. So the sleepy stuff, not going to play it with you today, okay? Stand up. Calmly walk outside. Take a nap in the foyer. If you're in here, you're here to listen and learn. Deal? Perfect. Because I'm, I'm not, I'm not I, don't, I can't throw a podium. I'm going to go to jail. But I'll just keep saying this, right? Get up, walk to the foyer. They're very kind out there. Take a nap. Okay? If you're in here, you want to learn. In a way, it's a culmination of the idea that I and me is the ultimate arbitrator of right and wrong. I say what's good. Even though God himself already said it's good, what am I trying to say if I determine what's good and what isn't? Who am I? I am God. God. If, if we want to be the arbitrator of right, wrong, good, evil, natural and unnatural, healthy and unhealthy, it's the ultimate deification. Fancy word, David. You ready for that? Making it a God. It's the ultimate deification of desire and feeling and I, I, I. Me, me, me. The great God of me. The same is said for anything on the spectrum of sexuality. We have had to create our own words trying to recreate the foundation. (laughs) First it's straight and homosexual. Now it's pansexual. Now it's, I want to be a a, a woman or a man, but I'm born, but now I want to be neither. Now I'm this. The other day I saw uh, um, someone interviewing a lady and he was actually respectful and he said, listen, and he was a believer and also conservative. He said, I want to respect what you want to be said. She goes, that's okay, I wear these armbands so that you can know what I feel that day. When I wear this color, I'm a she, right? I'm a her, she. When I wear this color, I'm a he. When I wear this, I'm a thee. And then the last one was when I'm this color, I'm a dragon. I'm not joking. <clears throat> oh, I love it. I love that all the Christians are like, this is crazy. Wait to see how you're on the spectrum too. I'll show us how we all are. Okay? How we all Do this. We create our own words trying to recreate the foundation. Cracks. Every single one is another crack. And here's the thing. The enemy's plan, he hasn't had to come up with a new one. All he has ever had to do is make you question God. Question first what he said, and if he can get you to question what he said, then he slides in the other lie, which is, you know what? Is there really any difference between you and him? You know what? I think you would be a better God than him. Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent, not just a snake, right, also came in a form that wasn't as scary, as intimidating as if he showed himself in his his full, you know, angelic form, right? They might go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, he comes in and he says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the animals that the Lord God had made. He said to a woman, did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? Did God really say that you're made male and female in his image? Did God really say that there is only one who is good? Did God really say that sin is, is anything that disobeys God? Did he really say that? Did God really say you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage? Did God really say you shouldn't have sex with the same gender? Did God really say those things? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, this is a jump here, but it's kind of I view this as sort of a believer. You think she believed in God? Did Eve believe in God? This isn't, a, this isn't a complicated question. I'm going to ask again. Did Eve believe in God? Did Eve know the truth? Okay. Then what's he saying? No, you will certainly not die. No. The servant said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Interesting that the serpent makes the main trait of God, the the, the being able to determine what is good, what is evil, what is sin, and what is not. When I slap, you guys listen for a minute, like 30 seconds. It's like goldfish when you tap on the thing. You're like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. Goldfish make that sound. Anyway, the woman saw, so right, did God really say it? She says the truth, and then he goes, no, no, no what's you he's afraid of what you could be The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at i want that i feel like i need that and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom oh so she took some of its fruit and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it and the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves I've said this for a long time in other messages that involve Genesis. Remember what God said in verse 31. He looked at everything and saw that it was good. What was the only thing in the garden? Was it good or evil? Good. What was the only thing that Adam and Eve had ever known? Good. So what did the tree really reveal to them? Just evil. Nothing good came from that. Nothing good came from that knowledge. Nothing good came from the ability to harm themselves. Just an illusion of control. It never changed who the king or who God was because God shows up. Instead, they knew evil. And what happened when they knew evil? They felt shame. Look at us. Something intended for good is now shameful. Do you know the statistics? on trans people and depression and suicide? Now, some of you in here immediately, I know your answer. I know exactly what you're gonna say. Well, that's because you hate them. Really? Because I don't get parades celebrating me. Right? I don't get days dedicated to me. I don't get laws dedicated to me. I don't get hired and not able to be fired because of what I am. Where's the hate? That is happening. Where is it? Are there some people that probably hate and are evil too? Of course. Where's the overall cultural hate that supposedly is happening that's driving them to depression? Where is it? It's another lie. They don't want you to know the truth, which is, guess what? Self-deification, getting what you want, isn't leading to your happiness. It's leading to your death. The enemy from the very beginning worked. By trying to get them and us to doubt the foundation, to doubt the creator. He created it, it's good. Is it good? Crack. To make us question and put ourselves on the throne. A throne that's too big for us. You want to know why the world's filled with anxiety? I mean, there's a ton of reasons why we feel that way, because we're constantly told to be God and to be in control of things that we know are uncontrollable. But you know what I can control? My body. I can cut my body, hurt my body. Oh, we're all against cutting, which we should be. Self-harm, self-mutilation. Boy, have you ever thought of the philosophical just kind of clash there? You feel a certain way, so hurt yourself. You feel a certain way, so hurt yourself. Well, it's okay to hurt yourself here because in the long term, you're gonna be happy once the scars heal. The tactics haven't changed, friends. And what concerns me is there's Christians in this room who are, who are, who are right now in this moment wrestling and saying, he is saying to hate them because he's not letting them be happy. I use my daughter a lot in examples because father and daughter, you know, she, she wants these caps to this little squeezy juice things, you know, the stuff that's like mashed up. Those are pretty good, by the way. I don't know how I would know that, but, right? And she wants these caps. It makes her happy because she wants to put them in her mouth and play with it and then choke to death. That's right. So she wants that. How mean am I to take it from her? How dare I? She should know better. She knows what's good for her. The tactics haven't changed. I've been thinking through this a lot lately. And I've been asking myself, and I try to start with stuff, I try to to think of it outside of it. I don't always do a good job, and nobody can fully remove themselves from from the culture they're in, but I try to think of it outside of of what I've known and what I think. And listen, I've asked myself, has this kind of thing always been around? This idea of, you know, I'm not this, and I'm this, and I'm a guy, and I want to be a girl, and a girl, and a guy, and all these things. Well, listen, the initial answer to this is yes, right? It is. It has, of course, to some degree existed. Did you know that? Did you know we've always had trans? We just didn't necessarily give them the ability to transition through science, but they they had this feeling. How do we know that? Well, we know that people in ancient Israel must have at times cross-dressed. Pull up Deuteronomy twenty-two five. A woman is not to wear male clothing, and a man is not to put on a woman's garve- garment. For anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord your God. Why would God tell them to do, not to do that unless they were doing it? Now, before everyone goes, oh my gosh, he hates me because I put on a dress once, it's, it's, what did that symbolize? You can lie to yourself all you want. Well, I wear a dress because I'm comfortable. You know what you're doing. You know, we know what's happening when a guy gets on the cover of a magazine, right? When a famous singer and puts a dress on and we go, oh, how great he is. He's comfortable in his masculinity, and we should wear it. What is it really doing? See it past that. See it culturally. What are we communicating? It has to start somewhere. God knew that crossing the line, whatever that garment is, right, from one to another, crossing that line, culturally, whatever it is. Well, ladies are like, well, we used to have to wear dresses all the time. It doesn't matter. Culturally, now we know what's feminine and what isn't. Masculine. That's why we like, oh, we celebrate it. So what's the problem with rebelling in this area? God knows what it leads to. It's not about clothes. It's about authority. It's about who's God and who's not. And kids in this room, you've been conditioned. You probably already think I hate them because in your school systems, you can't even say anything about it. Okay, so we knew that cross dressing existed. We also know homosexual urges existed. In fact, we know that ancient Rome, for instance, and Greece and all throughout time, right, has had a culture of cross dressing, homosexuality. 1 Corinthians 6 9 tells us this, right? Paul says, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people. Now I want you to pay attention because everybody says all oh, sexual immoral. Everybody's sexually immoral. Listen to this. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males. And the next verse is will inherit the kingdom of God. We'll get to that in a minute. You want to pull up the whole thing? I get down there a little later. No. no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Whoa, right? And somehow we've said because everyone lies at times, and because everyone's been sexually immoral in the eyes of God, that that makes it okay. Well, then you guys should be fine with me having a harem and preaching. Why not? Why can't I have a harem? What if I wake up one morning and I want a harem? We're all sexually immoral. So, okay, we know homosexual desires exist, and we know that ancient Rome had a culture of cross-section homosexuality, right? We know this. We even know, right, we, we've talked about this strange verse where, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole area, some angels show up, and a bunch of people show up, and, and it's Lot, isn't it? Lot, who we're all like, what a great guy. He's like, they come to his house because they went to the angels, and they're like, he's like, oh, don't take the angels, have my daughters. What a good man. And they go, no, give us those men so we can have sex with them. It says that, go look it up. They were pretty men, right? I'm just saying, this, this, this weird culture has always existed. I have a point in this, but guess what? It was always kept in the shadows. Stay with me. It was always viewed as different, not normal, shameful. Sure, everybody's like, Ugh. people were gay, were closeted in the 1950s. Why? Why? Was it, yeah, there's some cultural pressure. Where'd that come from? But there's also a pressure themselves. Why? Why was it considered shameful? Different, because intrinsically, listen to me, people know that that is a rejection of the natural order. Now, I'm not going to get in these ridiculous examples. I do know them. Well, there are some animals out in the world that practice homosexual urges. Are you a monkey? You know, my dog eats its own poop too. Should we all just go scoop a big pile up and take a bite? No. (sighs) That's the gosh. Everything I said, people are like, man, he's going hard with that poop. Right? (laughs) Using this context, what's the baseline for natural, right? If people intrinsically knew even then that, hey, we shouldn't come out with this and like people are going to be shamed about it and like everybody wants to make it cultural. Mm. it was natural, the majority of people would do it. I'm just being honest, right? We'll get to that in a second. Meaning physically, right? Stay with me. I'm not being philosophical, but stay with me for a second. We're using this context. What's the baseline for natural? It is what? The design of God, his ordered creation. You and I both know that something is inherently wrong with it, which is why I believe that that anxiety and depression comes as well, because you make permanent decisions based on temporary feelings, or feelings that aren't there all the time, right? Maybe they're, they're around. And, and even some of you in the stream that feel that way, stay with me, I'll get to that. I believe some of you may feel that way. I'm not mocking your feelings. Culture and society can attempt all they want to pervert and warp the definition of natural, which is what they're doing today. Culture is trying to make words like natural, healthy, and good synonymous with whatever our desires are in the moment. I'll say that again. Culture is, they want to make what is natural and good, right, and healthy, guess what they want you to believe? That whatever you feel and desire is healthy, natural, and good. You hear the lie? Did God really say that? But Scripture tells us that we're often led astray, that our desires cannot be the barometer, the leader, the compass for what is good and what is not. It can't be. How do we know that? Even as Christians, we can't trust our desires all the time, right? Because that old us is being stripped away slowly. We know it won't fully be glorified until, right, change permanently until death, and we can let go of all of it. Simply put, Scripture tells us that we're led astray by deceitful desires. That's what it calls it, deceitful desires. Your desires lie to you. So some of you in the room, you're already mad or you get fired up because you're going, he's saying they don't really feel that. No, no, no. My question is, why is what they feel the most important thing? Why is what you feel the most important thing? I know feelings are, are powerful. I'm a very passionate person, right? may surprise you. I want you to make that face, right? I'm a very passionate person, good and bad, right? There's good in it, but there's bad too because when I'm passionate, if I don't have control of my passions, they can lead me to not good places, Simply put, what does it mean by that? Our sinful nature often makes our desires, what we want, contrary or opposite to God. And anything opposite or contrary to God's design or God's desires or God's commands is simply not good. How do we know? Because what he said is good is good. He didn't make a mistake, and he didn't make a mistake with you. He didn't make a mistake. Some of you have close friends, and you're saying, well, they feel it, and I've seen them cry, and I hold them as they feel it. I believe you. I believe you. We'll get to that in a second, but that doesn't mean it's true. Listen to this, Romans 1, 18 through 25. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's a scary sentence. God's wrath. When you sin, some of you all think because you've been raised Christian or because mommy and daddy are, because you grew up in a church, that you're naturally protected by your name from God's wrath. That's not true. The only name that will protect you from God's wrath is Jesus Christ. And whether you know him and he knows you. And that's going to be shown by the way you live your life. Baptism, the service is coming. Some of you, you know, I I talk about this. Do you know what that's symbolizing? It's not washing away your sins, right? It is death and new life. Death, who you were is dead. What your desires aren't the number one thing anymore. The new life in Christ, okay? Listen to this, okay? Verse 19, since we can be known about, since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. This is important, for his invisible attributes, that is his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. We know what's natural, we know what's right, we know there's a creator. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. (laughs) So you can know him and not glorify him as God? You can know him as God and not treat him as God? or show gratitude, gratitude for what? For what he made, for the way he made you, for what he gave you. Instead, their thinking, listen, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, who's this sound like? They became fools. This is so, so powerful. Please, friends, listen to this verse. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their heart to sexual impurities so that their bodies were degraded. Cracks. Among themselves, they ex- <laughs> This is it. This is the crux of the problem. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. People follow their desires to the point that they will exchange the glory of being made in the very image of God. They will exchange that glory for something man-made. I'll exchange the glory and the gift of this body for something I make with a scalpel and some pills. I believe it's the desires of their heart. You want that? You don't want to follow me? Then follow these lies to the natural course. Don't lie to yourself, friends, that this doesn't matter. God's wrath is revealed against all godlessness and right, unrighteousness. All. Well, I've had it. Maybe i got to stay quiet because people think I'm calling them out. It's uncomfortable today, isn't it? A little uncomfortable? Yeah? Some of you all uncomfortable? You wouldn't tell me if you were. <clears throat> Stay with me. I'm, I'm going to wrap up kind of quick if you pay attention. If you sleep, I'm going another 40 minutes. <clears throat> we're wrestling with the wrong questions all too often. This is, the, this is the important part for you young people especially, right, because culturally some of the people in the older generation, they still naturally in their desires go, oh, this is wrong. Some of you young people need to hear this. And young, that's subjective. Listen, we are wrestling with the wrong questions, You've been told to ask the wrong questions. Too often we're saying, is someone born gay? Is someone born in the wrong body? Does someone have female or male tendencies outside of their physical sex? The truth is, none of that matters. None of that matters. It doesn't matter whether they were born that way, right? That's why people come to me, Todd, you know, it's a choice, blah, blah, blah. Why can't they be born that way? There's people born with a proclivity to alcoholism. Sin affects everything, Right? It's cracks in the foundation. The truth is, none of those questions matter. Psychopaths and sociopaths have been proven to to have parts of their brain, the part that controls impulse control, is weaker. Get what I mean? That doesn't mean that sinful destruction actions they pursue are excused. Do we say, you know what, psychopath, you killed 15 people? That's okay. You just felt that way naturally. You were born that way. Go home. No, someone may truly and really feel that life isn't worth living, yet we don't, not yet anyway, not yet, except suicide is a healthy or acceptable way to deal with those very real feelings. The question isn't whether someone feels a certain way, the question is what is right, what is holy, and what is good versus what is wrong, what is sinful, and what is destructive for the human body. For the human being, we have to stop defining right and wrong, and this is the part we're getting to. Even within the church, as what is culturally acceptable and what is not. I know I'm stretching you guys' brains because I think you're smart. I'm serious. I know. I know that. You know, when you public speak, I've said this before. Do you know what they tell me to do? I'm supposed to speak to third graders. I'm serious. If you want to be a successful public speaker, speak to people like the third graders. That's what they say. But you're saints, so I'm going to talk to you like saints. All right, We have to stop, I'm going to say it again, we have to stop defining right and wrong, even within the church, as what is culturally acceptable and what is not. Right and wrong, right is not automatically synonymous with culturally acceptable. And wrong isn't defined by what's not culturally acceptable. That's a big one. So just because culture says it's wrong to tell someone that what they feel isn't true, that doesn't mean that's the fact. Make sense? Even within the church, we have what we call bad sins and what aren't. We have to accept both sides of the truth, that all the wages of sin is death, but also that God's grace through Jesus Christ can forgive, redeem, and save all those sinners, even transgender sinners. No matter the sin or struggle, even homosexual sinners. Part of the issue today, and this is the part, see, those people, culture's creating cracks. The world, the domain of darkness is intentionally creating cracks because they want that. They want destruction even if they don't know it. They serve the enemy. Demons are real. The enemy is real. He is out to destroy us, right? Revelation says that at the beginning as it gives us the past that he could not get to Jesus. He couldn't touch the king. So he looked at the king's sons and daughters and said, I'll come for them. And even then he can't touch you really. He can just make you doubt, try to lie to you, twist things. Part of the issue comes from our misunderstanding of sin, even in the church today. So either culture is intentionally creating cracks, you are creating cracks unintentionally. You're doing it. Some of you intentionally. But there are Christians, well-intentioned Christians, meaning you're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, who are creating cracks. How? How? Because we have a misunderstanding of sin in the church. We put parameters around sin to make ourselves more comfortable. We create rankings, hierarchies of what's sin really bad and what isn't. Am I lying? Which ones are okay to talk about in your men's group and your women's group and which ones aren't? We, uh, often, these rankings and hierarchies of sin are once again bound up with what we desire and don't desire. So say I don't naturally struggle with alcoholism. Well, the alcoholic is a monster. How dare he not be able to overcome that, even though that's just not a particular temptation of mine? You see what I'm saying? Stay with me, I know. The farther an action is from what we naturally do as humans, or in the church, I'm going to say in the church, the farther an action is from what we naturally do or what we struggle with, what is more acceptable in church culture, the more sinful it is and the worse it is. So, that's a lot, right? What I'm saying is, the farther it is from what is culturally acceptable, like slander. Y'all slander all the time. And act like that. It's not in the same list that says these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But because everybody slanders, it's okay and acceptable, but adultery isn't. One sends you to hell and one doesn't, right? Right? When we do this, and st- some of you are going, yeah, I'm allowed to sin. No, that's not the point here. Stay with me. The acceptable, and co- the more sinful and worse it is. The truth is far from this. The simple truth is what? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin are death, not the wages of what we call bad sin, not the wages of what we call the little ones. All sin leads to death. Put simply, this means that any attempt to minimize our sin by comparing it to other people only continues to add to the idea that culture wants us to buy, which is what? Right and wrong is based purely on our desires and opinions. If I say slander isn't that big of a deal, or I don't even address it, or I don't challenge it, or right, I don't try to kill it, but they see that in our Bible it says that, then who am we to tell them their homosexual lifestyle is wrong? Because isn't it just whatever you naturally struggle with you naturally don't do you understand what i'm saying or have i lost you i wrestled with this whether to tell you this so the harsh truth is so we add cracks the very cracks they've created we as the church just go by the way we live our lives so the harsh truth is in doing that in deciding what's important and not important what is forgivable and what isn't forgivable to each other not the, not the world. We'll tell a killer he can be forgiven, but how dare you tell a deacon he can be forgiven for of adultery. And I use that one. Why do I always use adultery? Because that's the bad one you all want to kill people for. But man, I don't see anybody getting fired for being slanderous. I don't see anybody getting fired for being hateful. I don't see anybody fired for preaching a false gospel that says there's no forgiveness for certain people. So what are we doing? We're creating cracks everywhere. The harsh truth in doing that and deciding what's important and not important, what's forgivable and not forgivable. in the church today, it's only strengthening the lie that there is no right and wrong, good and evil, that it's only really desire, opinion, a big game of he said, she said. What's bad for you isn't bad for me. What's good for you isn't good for me. We're adding to that. The woman who doesn't view gossip in the church is sinful is just as damaging to culture as the Christian woman who says that living a homosexual lifestyle is okay in God's eyes. How dare you not forgive believers? How dare you condemn people and then say that's okay and isn't damaging but saying this sin isn't, right? That they're not the same. He who hates his brother, right? The one who hates his brother is a liar and God is not in him. The woman who doesn't view gossip as sinful is just as damaging to culture as a whole as the woman who says that living a homosexual lifestyle is okay in God's eyes. Why? Because both are not based on anything more than a viewpoint. When in reality, our focus should be on the fact that there is a right and wrong, there is a good and evil, there is a holy and a sinful and that. Determination is based on something outside of me and outside of you and outside of culture. It's based on truth, the only truth. And it's based on the one who created us. God. God himself is the foundation on which we make moral decisions. And as a Christian, that's what you say you believe. I'm not talking about people who struggle with sin. right? That's a struggle. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I struggle with slander or gossip. I'm saying... It's one thing to struggle with. It's another thing to enable. It's another thing to say it's okay. It's another thing to not call it a sin. God is the definer of good and evil and right and wrong. Because now I want to read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 again. Because we talked about it with trains, but I want you to listen to the rest of it. Don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people. What's sexually immoral? See, no one in the church has an issue with that. We'll hide that. Idolaters. Worship. What if you just worship your relationship? That's okay, because marriage is okay to idolize in the church, put above God. Adulterers or males who have sex with males, okay, I'm not in those, Todd. What about thieves? How about greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers, cheats, will inherit God's kingdom? None of them will. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. A lot of bad theology out there doesn't understand this. They're saying, ah, if you're washed and sanctified, it means I've never, I don't ever do those things again because if I do, then I must not be washed and sanctified. No, his point was, you are just as bad except you were saved and washed and sanctified. By what? Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. All sin is wrong, and if we allow any cracks in the foundation of truth, we are contributing to the cracks in society. You are damaging your children when you set up one thing is important, going to church is important, but not praying and reading Scripture on your own or spending time in community, right? You wonder why your kids don't view you as um, consistent. They take your faith not seriously because it ends the moment you walk out these doors. If if in church culture we minimize sin in one area, we're allowing the cracks to widen and to lead to more and more minimizing. We have to face the truth. They create cracks intentionally and we're creating cracks unintentionally by the testimony of our lives. People say, you know, and, and, and sometimes they say it in a good way and sometimes they don't. They say, Todd, you're really blunt or you're really, you know, you, you say it, you're angry. I remember that. I tell that story all the time. Why is he so angry, Mom? Right? It's not that. To me, it's, there's this part of me that goes, are you insane? What I'm saying is, like, if you're going to follow this, at least follow it. At least believe it. It's okay if you say, I struggle to believe the truth, live the truth. I don't like it. But don't fool yourselves. There is a whole version of Christianity that's not based on Jesus Christ. So how do we overcome that? How do we stop? How do we stop? How do we help culture? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll I'll finish up quick. I know I went long again. I'll try to give you a 15-minute one sometime. Therefore, then you're going to be mad at short. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Guess what? A sacrifice is intentional. It's not what we want. Do do you always want to give money in your offering? You do it as a sacrifice. So to, to present your body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, is costing something. This is your true worship, the testimony of your life. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. you renew your mind in the word of God, following God's commands, going to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I can call you out for that because that was me. And you're right. It doesn't make you a Christian, but Christians go to church. Why? Because it's part of renewing our mind, being around other believers, right? We're out in that world all the time. Scripture, prayer, do you do that? You know, do you focus on the do's? And I think this is beautiful. She's gonna. Mandy will come play some music. First Corinthians thirteen six, <laughs> right? Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. The culture wants you to believe that loving someone is allowing them to believe their own lies. But true love understands, right, that the truth is the only way to love someone. The truth. God doesn't just tell us that because he's like, hey, I'm the king and you're not, although he could. He says, I know what's good for you. So what do we do? You have to speak up. We can't allow and just hand our culture over. It's okay. It's not hateful to stand up and say this is wrong. It's not hateful to stand up for our children. It's not hateful to say we're not going to allow them to, to be molded to the culture of this world. It's okay to not allow your children to be molded to the culture of this world. There's this weird thing that meek means weak. It doesn't, right? The meek will inherit the earth. The translation, one of the, the, you know I'm being translations. There's just not a word that means this, right? It means he who has a sword but doesn't use it, but has control over it. There's a time and a place to stand up and say no more. But I'm not just saying go pick it. I'm also saying, are you willing to stop adding cracks by the way you live your life? Will you follow God? Be weird. Be different. Even be different even to normal Midwest American church culture that says do what you want when you feel like doing it. Are you going to be radically different and give what? Live your life as a living sacrifice. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give. I don't want to love. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to do those things. But God I will do it anyway, not for me, but for you, because I trust you. We have to fight lies, but the only thing that fights lies, truth. Don't believe cultural lie that says loving someone is just sitting silent while they mutilate themselves. And it means sitting silent while they hate themselves. It doesn't mean that. And no, going up to someone and saying, You're an evil scumbag because you're gay is not going to help them, right? Because even if you can make them straight, that's not going to save them. You have to tell people about Jesus and you have to live a life that follows Jesus even imperfectly because it will be. Sometimes that's the testimony. Well, you do this? I know. But I try not to. Guys, we have to fight lies with truth and we can only heal cracks by repairing the foundation. What areas have you allowed cracks in the foundation of your faith? in your own life. The gospel's really simple. I'm not even gonna give it long. God made everything perfect, like he says in Genesis. And he said, there's one rule, I'm God and you're not. I'll tell you what right and wrong is. And I just told you what we did. We said, no, I will determine what's right and wrong. And because of that, the branch was snapped off the tree. We were snapped off the tree and we're dying and we're unhealthy, and no matter how many times we try to fix ourselves and and get paint leaves on our branch, right, and, and glue them and duct tape them from other places, it doesn't fix the fact that we know something's wrong. If you're in the room and you don't know God, nothing in this world will fix what you're looking for. No relationship, no warm body, no bottle, and no pill. Only restored relationship with your creator. The Bible says that not only do we live a life That's incomplete and half. But when we die, that's not the end. We will be eternally separated from God. Hell is real. I don't believe in hell. Well, I've said it before, right? And the people in the church know it. You cannot believe in gravity, but if you jump off this building head first, you're gonna find out real quick, gravity's real. And it's the same with hell. Don't wait. Don't jump off life and wait on the chance it's not. It is. And it's too late then. You are doomed in the wages of sin or death. We are doomed on our own. I am. And not good enough. Not just when I was saved. Every day I sin in ways that would separate from me. But when I couldn't come to God and couldn't be brought back, He grabbed me. He gave a way to pay our debt. Jesus Christ is God made flesh. He showed us how to live, told us the truth, and then he did something incredible. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. Today, friends, right? He didn't just die. I need to say this. He was resurrected on the third day, proving who he was, which is God Himself. Over 500 witnesses attest to the risen Savior. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your lips. you got to say it, you chickens, right? Because we say what we really believe. You all tell your girlfriend all the time, I love you, baby, right? You know the power of words. You gotta be willing to say it and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead and you will be saved. But Todd, I struggle with this and I struggle with that and I've done this in my past and none of it matters. Even if you're the transgender person that went through the surgery, you too can be saved. God loves you. He's not done with you. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't condemn you. He wants to save you. You can have that today. If you're in this room and you know him and you say, because I know the gospel, I've accepted it and I've been to this church 72 times, so I must be saved. No, it all hinges on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have one or do you not? We're gonna give you time. I know we've went late, who cares? Time is something we made. God gave you this moment for a reason. Are there areas in your life you need to repent, Christians, because you've added to the cracks? Because culture says that's what a good Christian man is or a good Christian woman, are there areas you gotta say, God, I'm sorry? Or are you in this room and maybe you don't know God, you don't know Jesus, but that'll shock Todd and I'm a member and it's gonna scare, I don't care. The only person that matters, right, whose opinion matters is the one who can save you. There are gonna be people up here willing to pray with you. Whatever you do, friends, please hear me. Don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.